Well, good morning, church. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Would you stand to your feet and let's sing together?
Well, if you've not been welcomed to church this morning, let me just welcome you. Before you're seated, why don't you turn around and meet someone new and welcome them to church this morning. Welcome, put your hands together and welcome each other to church. So glad you're here. What a great day. It's always good to come and just worship Jesus, experience his presence together. And today is such a fun day when service is over. Right here in this auditorium, all of parents of kids, you will get your children come back here. And we're going to put in your hands the most amazing Bible that I've ever seen written for children, and we're going to show you more about that in the service as we go on. We are now just weeks away from one of the most exciting events of the year. It is called A Night to Shine. We're excited about it. Yeah, go ahead and celebrate what is coming. Pastor Joel and our young adult ministry, they're kind of spearheading this initiative. He's been on Channel 8, article this weekend, Tulsa World. So, Check out that article. A lot of great publicity. Many of you have already signed up to be on one of the many teams that will make this night unforgettable and the great influence that it's going to be. It is not too late to get on one of the teams. I want to celebrate all of you that have already worked so hard in the different ways leading up to the night. But we have a special thank you from Tim Tebow himself, so watch the screen. What's up, church? This is Tim Tebow. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for saying yes to being a part of A Night to Shine and for saying yes to helping kids and for saying yes to making a difference in their life. At the Tim Tebow Foundation, that is what we're about. Our goal is to bring faith, hope, and love to those needing a brighter day in their darkest hour of need. And we want to do that any way possible. And A Night to Shine is a huge part of that. This was something that we started last year because we wanted people with special needs to feel important. We wanted them to feel like the kings and queens of the prom because we believe that's how God sees them every single day of their life. Now, last year I had a mom come and hug me and she was squeezing me and when she was embracing me and she was crying, she said, my daughter, she's never gonna get married. She's never gonna be able to have kids, but tonight she felt like a princess. And for us, that's what it's all about. So thank you so much for being a part of this night, for making kids feel special, for telling them that you believe in them, that God has a plan for them, that he loves them, because that's what this is about. And it's amazing, on February 12th, over 100,000 people are gathering together to say yes to life, to say yes that God has a plan for these special people. And I'm so thankful that y'all answered the call to say we wanna be a part of it, because you are making a huge difference. 
and you are doing what the church is supposed to do, loving people and caring for people and making a difference in their life. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you and God bless. Yeah. So that is coming up and we would love to have you join one of the teams leading up to the event. There are many things that uh, you could be a part of and then on that night, we're gonna make it so special. So thank you in advance for all that you are doing. Once a month, we challenge you to give money above your tithe. And the money you give above your tithe, we dedicate it as a Neighbors and Nations offering. The Nations side is the 70 plus missionary families that we support each month around the world. The Nations side is the connection and partnership we have in Thailand, China, Uganda, Malawi, and these partnerships allow us to support schools, orphanages, development of pastors. So it's an extraordinary global piece of the vision. But then on the neighbor side, it's things like Night to Shine, where we just show love to our community. We all come together and make this happen. And so when we receive these offerings just once a month, all of the money above the tithe goes to help the Neighbors and in Nations initiative. It's been extraordinary what you've given over the years, and this year needs to be the best because we're going to do more than we've ever done before. So we're starting strong with the night to shine. Tim Tebow's foundation is giving $8,500 to offset the costs. But it's going to be even double that. We have secured the Glenpool uh, Conference Center, and there's a lot that goes into this. So if you're willing to give above your tithe today, it will help us to respond and make this night over and above expectation. Here's what I think Jesus uh, wanted for his church. He wanted great vision and great generosity to go together. And anytime compelling vision and generosity come together, great life-changing things happen. So as the ushers come today, I wanna challenge you from the very beginning, this first Neighbors and Nations offering, do the best you can. You can do this online. You can write a check and put it in the bucket as it goes by. You can join the many who would like to get out of their seat to the nearest aisle and come, and you can put that offering in one of these buckets, and all of it will help us be a church that's committed locally and globally. It's called Neighbors and Nations. So dedicate it that way as you give, and all of those proceeds will be directed accordingly. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for a great church. Thank you for an exciting day where we make a difference, Lord, not only today, but beyond. So we just surrender ourselves to you. And we do pray, Lord, that in 2016, our vision would be greater and our generosity would be greater. That our generosity could match the vision and we would see that the kingdom can go forward through the call you've given us here at the assembly. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. God bless you as you give today. Would you stand to your feet as we continue in worship today?
Yeah.
about it as you sing it. It's your breath. focus, you're the passion of our heart. We pray, God, that we would be a first love church. In no way would we take our relationship with you casually, but with deep-seated conviction, we would honor, worship, live for you. Thank you for everyone in this room and the story that they represent. And God, I pray that you will minister your greatness until people know that they can overcome any challenge, until hope rises in their heart, until their faith is renewed. And we thank you for it, Lord Jesus. We just take in your presence today, and it strengthens our heart. It strengthens our resolve to live and honor you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, let's celebrate Jesus by putting our hands together. Come on, he is worthy. God bless every one of you, and thank you for being here today. You may be seated. As I look across this place and I see all the families represented, I want you to know we're committed to you. We're committed to being on this journey and growing spiritually and raising a generation who don't just know about Jesus, but they have a relationship with Him. At the close of this service, those of you who have children will go and get them and come back to this room and these tables on my left and right are filled with these Bibles, and we will put one of these in your hands as a family. And then you'll be invited for lunch and inflatable games and the hot air balloon ride. And some have asked, is it only for children? If you want to stay, you are more than welcome. We'd love to have you stay. And you don't even have to wait in line out in the cold. We've got it set up where you can wait inside, and a golf cart will take you and your family out to the hot air balloon and it's going to be so much fun. So we'd love to have you. We want to put one of these Bibles in the hands of every family as a way to express where our focus is as we open up this new building that we have opened for children. So that you get another idea of what this Bible is like, watch this video, and then we'll move on in our message today. What if the Bible was more than a book? What if it was more than words on a page? What if it was designed for kids? Fun to read and interesting to look at. And what if it was something you could experience? By combining it with technology and an app that can make each book come to life, with 66 activities, one for each book of the Bible. What did God create on the fourth day? 
Incorrect. Trivia to make reading interactive. This is awesome. Games and puzzles. You got it right. <laughs> Great job. And 3D surprises that literally pop off the page. Did you know that in Leviticus, so God cool? speaks directly to Moses concerning his laws and rules at least 38 times? <laughs> Incredible! <laughs> Daniel was a man of prayer whose character earned him a place of honor. Whoa! On the sixth day, God created animals. It's making reading the Bible fun, exciting, and an adventure. The Fire Bible and Companion app. And so today, let's celebrate that every family gets one of these amazing Bibles. What a resource to your family. King Nebuchadnezzar, we find in Daniel chapter 1, if you'll turn in your Bibles to that chapter, had ordered Babylon to invade and bring back the brightest and the best from Jerusalem. We know that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was among that number. We first get a glimpse of what was unfolding in Daniel's life. As King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to transform him into a cultural Babylonian by changing his literature, everything he'd ever studied or known, so that he would be built on a new and different value system, want to change his language, ultimately his name, every effort was made to brainwash him so that he would be useful to culture and especially as a leader in Nebuchadnezzar's world. As we start in chapter 1, we see quickly that Daniel had this resolve, this ability to maintain a faithfulness to his value system because he loved God and honored God above all else. And he stands out immediately in his commitment and even when the king put him through such rigorous training and then evaluated, I want you to see his, his assessment. This is Daniel chapter 1 verse 20. And this is where we base the whole series. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. Daniel was the best. He stood out. Not only in his leadership, in his wisdom, his character, his influence. It's just he was distinct. We know at this point he is a young adult. And when we take a look at chapter 1, we could just stop there, but it would be a snapshot. I want it to be more complete so that we can see this profound characteristic of his life, which I believe is the calling to all of us. When you get to chapter 6, it's about 65 years later, we find Daniel in his late 80s. This is where King Darius has caused the Medes and the Persians to come together and they have overtaken Babylon. Now he's going to install his leadership organization, so he chooses 120 leaders. We would call them senators. He gives them a province, and to give leadership to the 120, he chooses three, among which would be Daniel. 
But as the king observed this incredible, distinct young or old man by this point, he asked Daniel to be second in command. This put a jealousy in the other leaders and they immediately tried to conspire against Daniel to bring him down. But here is another king, now seven kings since we've seen Daniel brought into Babylon. And this king, you would think, would choose a Mede or a Persian, someone who just by nature of their roots would be more loyal. When he applies the taxation or when he leads the military, he would want someone to be loyal with overseeing the money, overseeing the leaders, leading the military. And he chooses Daniel. So Daniel had this influence and faithfulness, not just when he was a young man, but on the journey all the way into his late 80s. King Darius saw that there was something unusual and great and unique and distinct about Daniel. And our prayer is that if we can get an insight, maybe we could see a multiplied influence through our life. But it's not some rare, hard-to-find-out characteristic. It's very challenging to live, but it's easy to see that as a young man, even up to his 90s, Daniel was faithful. On the influence side, Let's wrap our minds around it like this. What if you go back to the presidency of Ronald Reagan? You bring it up to present day. So you go from President Reagan to President Bush to President Clinton to President Bush to President Obama. You're talking about decades. And each one of these presidents, unique in their vision, unique in their value system, and each one of them have the authority to choose anyone they want to be their chief of staff. And imagine if each one from President Reagan to President Obama chose the same man. This would be some way of of understanding this influence that Daniel had so that he is chosen by king after king throughout the decades. Not only was he amazingly influential, but what supported that influence was this faithfulness. We find him in chapter 1 being faithful to God. Throughout his life, there is this requirement to make a response to very challenging times, and it's always a righteous response. He remains faithful, not perfect, because Daniel nor anyone is perfect outside of Jesus Christ. But he found a humility before God, and he walked in a faithfulness until his influence was multiplied. So my sincere prayer is, God, could you let us see the way that we too can be faithful. Your story, my story, will have its impact if it's a clear, compelling story over time. We're not here today and gone tomorrow, but we are on this journey, not perfect, but surrendered. Not perfect, but committed We are progressively, spiritually growing, and we remain faithful to God. We're in this race. We're going to run this race, and we have said in our heart to finish the race, that I will be here tomorrow. 
I will be here next week. My voice may not, but I will be here faithfully honoring the Lord. What supports that kind of faithfulness? I'm going to say that it's first of all Daniel's love for God because whatever you love the most is what will require and receive your attention. It's where your energy will flow. If you have discipline in your life, you will apply that discipline in the area of your greatest passion. Where you will invest your time and your resources is where you have your treasure, whatever you love the most. And there is no doubt that Daniel had a passionate love for God that empowered his faithfulness over the years, giving him the power to make a righteous response over and over again. What energizes that love? What else could there be as an insight to being faithful? And I think it's Daniel's interaction with the presence of God and the word of truth. What if Daniel could walk out here, you know, this man in his 90s, and somehow he could come out and just give us one last talk before he spends his eternity with God? What would he say in response to our question, Daniel, how were you faithful over the years in politics, all of those years, and when those conspirators forensically went over your life, they couldn't find one thing to criticize. How did you live that way? I think Daniel would say, you must do more than own a Bible, respect the Bible, and believe the Bible. You have to engage the Word of God. It's not enough to own one of these, to believe it, and to respect it. We've got to go beyond that to engaging it. Because when we engage the word is when we experience the power of the word which supports our faithfulness. Can you say amen? I want you to think of the word for a moment like oxygen, like the air we breathe. Anybody in this room, if you stop breathing, it gets really dangerous really fast. That's the necessity of breathing. That's the necessity of oxygen. And God has taught us through his word that his word is life-giving. We do not take this as a vaccination. We take it each day as life-giving power into our lives to support the kind of story that God is writing through you and through me. It is so much more than just academic when we read the Bible because it's a life-giving word. It's so much more than checking off that I've read a certain portion in my daily reading plan. I am for a plan. I encourage you to find the one that fits for you and make sure you honor it. But no, engaging the scriptures more than just reading it to check it off that I've read it for a given day. It's putting my heart into it and breathing in, taking in the life-giving influence of God's word. That is what will keep me responding righteously over the years. So thank God for this word. We, we see the necessity of breathing. But sometimes because it's just happening naturally and easily, we're not as conscious of how precious and how important. I've always been fascinated by whitewater river rafting, and I've wanted to do it. I've never done it. 
When we go to Uganda, there's this place on the Nile River where they will take you, and we've never done that. And I was listening to some people talk about it, and I picked up this little booklet, and it told a story of some people who were in another part of Africa who went rafting on the Zambezi River. They had one guide in the boat who was doing all of the navigation. His name was Stephen, and he told him, he said, look, as we start out, we're going to hit the rapids, and when we do, I can promise you, you will be ejected from this raft. And when you're all ejected, what I will do is I will turn the raft over. I will get on top of the raft, and I will start accounting for all of you. And he taught them how, as the rapids flow, how to start making their way, how to swim the rapids until you make your way back to the raft. And when we've gathered everyone up, I'll turn the raft over. We'll get back in the raft and keep going. They get in the boat. Everything's going well. They hit the rapids, and no sooner are they in those rough rapids until one team member after the other is being ejected until they're all out. And so Stephen turns the boat over. He begins to account for everyone, and they make their way back to the raft. He turns it over. They get in. They keep going. It gets even rougher. Out they all go again. And this time as as Stephen turns it over, he's accounting for everyone. Everyone gets back and one of the team members says, we're missing someone. Stephen looks around and not seeing anyone, this look comes on his face that the team members could see that were on that side of the raft and he dives into the water. What Stephen realized is that when everyone was ejected, Many of them went under the water for about 30 yards and then they started popping up. And when he had turned that boat over, he said, perhaps that team member has come up beneath the raft. So he dove in and went under the raft and when he came up in that pocket of air, there was the team member. The team member not knowing what to do, it's just like, look, I can breathe. There was a pocket of air there and so Stephen got that team member and said, here's the instructions, here's what we're going to do. And they come out from under the raft and they turn the raft back over and everyone gets in it and their team leader looks at Stephen and says, please get every one of us off of this raft immediately. (laughs) And Stephen says, that's impossible. There's no exit point here. We're in this until it's over. And they all made it safely. They all said they'll never do it again. And when I read that, I thought about how in life, I even think Daniel would say this, on my journey, the rapids became rough. My life was turned upside down. I was submerged in more challenge than I could ever imagine. But God was faithful to give me a pocket of air. And even in the roughest times, there was a pocket of air and I wanted out. And God said, no getting out until the journey's over, but I promise you, I'll give you air to breathe even in the roughest parts of the journey. And to me, that's the power of the word. Maybe life is pretty even kill right now. Make sure you're taking in the word. But if it's rough, I want to give you this encouragement God will provide pockets of air through the power of his word that will fill your soul and fill your character and cause you to know you can be faithful no matter how rough it gets. 
believe it with all of my heart. I believe those of you clapping, you know what I'm talking about. Anybody here raise a hand and say, I know what you're talking about. The word has held me in some very difficult, treacherous times. You know, it's the power of the word. You don't get the pocket of air in, in the rough times of life just because you own a Bible. Just because you believe it or you respect it. No, that empowerment comes because you have engaged it. See the word as oxygen. See the word as spiritual nourishment. See it as food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We know that if we don't eat, not only do we grow weak, but we ultimately die. People get in a certain physical condition and they can't feed themselves. They will get a feeding tube because you cannot go without food. You have to have the nourishment. And I want us to see the importance, the necessity of taking in that kind of nourishment. But I believe God wants us to be a generation that goes beyond just the necessity of the word to the delicacy of the word. To where you love it and you feast on it. When you go to your favorite restaurant, you're not thinking in your mind, I have to go to my favorite restaurant or I'll die. Somebody just shout out your favorite restaurant. Where's your favorite place to go eat? Uh, uh, man, I love your response. Talking about food, man, the place comes alive. So right in this, give me some. What? What a burger is your favorite place to go eat. You like it? Yeah. This section is on a limited budget. So what a burger, CC's pizza. Someone else over here? Charleston's. I'm sorry? Napa Flats. Bonefish Grill. I got a shout out in the first service. Over here? Huh? Taco Bell. You should be sitting over here. Over here. Cheesecake Factory. All right, let's just, how many of you have been to Cheesecake Factory? When you go to Cheesecake Factory, you're not saying, I, I'm so glad we're going to Cheesecake Factory because I'm just on the verge of dying. No, you're going not not because of the necessity to eat, but the delicacy. And when that waiter or waitress comes and brings you that catalog, <laughs> and then in addition to all that you see, the waiter or waitress begins what I call menu exposition. They break it down. They tell you stuff that's all that. Plus today we have, and they describe what is special in the sauce and how it's cooked. And after you've heard menu exposition, you don't then get up and leave because you didn't go just to hear the word. You went to experience what you heard, what you read. And so you make an order. And when it comes, you aren't thinking, man, I'm so glad I want to die. No, you're thinking delicacy. You're thinking praise God from whom all cheese factories come. You are loving it. You are that bread, that bread. Thank God for that bread. 
And when this Daniel plan is over, I'm going to eat so much bread. That bread and the... What do you like from Cheesecake Factory? Cheese! Praise God for cheesecake. You soon say, it's a delicacy. You set aside a time. You said, hey, tonight we're going to Cheesecake Factory. You're willing to wait until you get a table. And then you sit down. You know it's going to be a while. Because it's not necessity. It's delicacy. What if we could be a generation that when it comes to the word, we move beyond necessity. We're like, we love it. We desire it. We will set aside time and take it in. We will process it, meditate on it, read it and reread it. We will feast on the word of God. Those are people who will be faithful when the going gets tough. We have to move beyond. I think Daniel would say this. I think he would say, if it's just necessity, you got to move until it's, it's precious to you. Back in Old Testament days, when children were very young, they would be brought into the school, the rabbi, their teacher, and they would literally memorize the Old Testament. And on the first day of school, the rabbi would come and give them a taste of honey. Honey was this precious commodity in that time. And when they were taking in the honey, he would introduce the scripture. Because forever he wanted their minds, when it came to thinking of the word, for it to be associated with the most incredible thing they had ever tasted. When the word becomes precious, awesome, amazing, and it's like a feast for us, and we sit down and take in the feast on a regular basis, then through our journey, as we are called on to make a righteous response, we will have the power, because it's coming from a life built on the word of the living God. Come on, give the Lord a praise if you believe that. Let's take in his word. Not only is the word oxygen that we breathe, not only is it food upon which we feast, it is seed that we sow into our lives. Your life and your future, it's like a field. It's like a field of dreams. And in the furrows of your coming journey, you want to be careful to plant the seed of the word of God. And as you plant the seed of the word of God, then when the going gets tough, God will have watered that word in your heart to where it comes up as a harvest of peace, power, joy, hope. Whatever you need in that time of struggle, the cumulative effect of planting the word of God in your life regularly will result in a life that is strong and it is kept faithful. The key of Daniel was that Daniel didn't just keep the faith. Daniel had such a relationship with God that faith kept him. And when you sow the word, the word of God becomes such a string that it'll hold you. I'm telling you, in the deepest, darkest valleys, God will bring to your remembrance 
a word that he planted deep in your heart, that you planted deep in your heart. He's an awesome man in this church. He's a friend of mine. And a few weeks ago, I received a text from him. He didn't say, hey, how are you doing? It was just Luke 11, verses 8 and 9. And that's what I needed that day. And when I read those verses, I dropped anchor in those verses. It had a power to hold my perspective, to empower my hope. It's the power of the word. And it's scripture that I had read before, but when he sent it and I read it, it's like rushing over me with something more than just words throughout that text. It went deeper than that. I honor my friend for sending it, but the Holy Spirit then took it and brought something to my mind that had been planted deep over the years. If in these tough moments all I have is ownership of a Bible and I respect the Bible and I believe it, but I'm not engaging it, I don't have that pocket of air. I don't have that harvest of which to hope will come forth in that time of need. That comes because we've engaged the Scripture. We aren't placing these in the hands of families. So it's one more Bible on the shelf, but that the Word would be taken in like oxygen. Feasted upon like delicious food. Planted deep in our hearts like seed in the ground. Let me show you Isaiah 55 starting at verse 10. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. Notice the influence. They cause the grain to grow. Producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same. With my word. I send it out. And it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. You know what that means? It means the word's unstoppable. And it will prosper everywhere I send it. That, can be, that can't be said of any other book. If we will invest time in planting the word of God. The word of God sent into our heart, it will produce fruit. It will accomplish all that God wants to do and it will prosper in your life. Finally, oxygen to breathe, food upon which we feast, seed that we sow, but it's a sword that we wield. Here's Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. Again, the combinational power of Spirit and Word. In the Greek, you have the word rhema. This, in the Greek, is logos. And when the rhema word and the logos word, you're just being faithful, planting it in your heart day by day. But then there are those moments that it gets inspired. It's a pneuma. It's a spirit-inspired word. You then use that word to fight back against the temptation or the struggle that you're going through. And that is a word that will prosper. It is a word that will not return empty or hollow or void. It will move you beyond processing through struggle in the natural 
to now you have a weapon that is not carnal, but it's mighty through God to the pulling down of things that would like to twist your thinking. It's the power of the word. When Jesus was tempted, Satan, looking at the exact timing of his life, attacked with the temptation that Jesus would be most susceptible to doing. And Jesus Christ responded with the sword and he said, it is written. Three times the enemy attacked in such a precise way and each time Jesus responded with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now think about this. Today I'm here and we have the word of God and I'm taking the word in. But if I take a take in all the word like taking in breath and I hold it and I try to hold it until this time next week I'm going to die I have to do more breathing than just on Sunday if I don't eat between now and next Sunday I'm going to be so weak feast on the word If I'm only thinking of the sword of the Spirit on Sunday, then it doesn't materialize as real supernatural weaponry in my life to win the battles of life. Daniel, mentor us. Daniel would say, don't just own a Bible, respect the Bible, or believe it, engage it. say there are going to be times life is going to turn you upside down and you're going to wonder if you're going to make it and the word will be that pocket of air there will be times that you will feel the attack and the enemy would seek to make you weak but because the word is not just necessity it's delicacy you're going to have a reserve you're going to have a foundation and it's going to keep you You say, when I was 17, and then when I was 27, and when I was 37, when I was 47, and 57, and 67, and 77, I just kept sowing the word. And the cumulative effect of sowing the word allowed me to say in the face of culture, if you throw me in the lion's den, so be it. But I'm not going to forsake my commitment to God, the value I have placed on prayer, regardless of consequences. I'm not going to attach my thoughts to outcome. My heart is attached to my God and I will honor him. I think Daniel would say the word was brought strong. We know that the lions were put on a Daniel fast. But he didn't know that. He didn't know that. He had a strength to be faithful. There is a book of the Bible that's the longest of all books, and it's called Psalms. Of the Psalms, the longest one is Psalm 119. And the longest psalm in the longest book of the Bible is 176 verses. It's broken down into eight verse sections. 
And it corresponds with the Hebrew alphabet. So everyone reading it back in that day would know that what it is really communicating is that the word is how life happens. And you arrange your entire life around the word. So the longest psalm, the longest chapter, and the longest book of the Bible is all about the word. And in verse 16, Psalm 119, here's what it says. I delight in your decrees. And here's this next powerful line. It says, I will not neglect your word. Put your eyes on that word neglect. If we will be a generation that will delight in his word, not neglect the word, I think we, like Daniel, can be faithful no matter how much pressure culture tries to bring. I think if we will delight in the word and not neglect the word, I think we will be an influence on culture, not the other way around. That we can be the light of the world and we can be the salt of the earth and this can be the church's finest hour. We've never had a time like this of which we can make a difference, but it cannot happen if we merely believe, own, and respect the Word. You can believe, own, and respect the Bible and be neglecting it. Neglect is when I don't engage it. If you have neglected the Word, then the starting place is, Lord, I repent of that, and going forward, I refuse to allow that to be. So with your eyes closed, To every young person here, to every young adult, I promise you that if you will make the word central in your life, you have, will have a strength to respond to the many voices of temptation that are bidding for your attention. You will build your life on a foundation that will allow you to go into any situation, any context, and still have stability. God wants to raise up a generation that is not fragile but faithful and it cannot happen apart from engaging in the Word. So to young people, be compelled. Let a hunger and a thirst be nurtured in your heart for the Word. We talk to adults in this, parents, single parents, the high calling of passing on a heritage. The heritage we pass on can must be more than respect for the Bible. It must be engagement with the Word. It must be a Word that's alive to us, that we build on, that shapes the decisions we make, that shapes the way we evaluate right and wrong. It must be the Word that's, that gets to be the moral authority the navigator of our lives. And watching eyes, our kids, they see that the Word is important. Join me in committing today to not neglect the Word, but to delight in it, to engage it. To all of us trying to live a story that has influence we must be faithful. And it's the Word of God that will empower that faithfulness. When we sing, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. That's actual, I mean, the actual.
actual air you're breathing is a gift from God. But it's his word in us. It's his life-giving word in our spirit. And so we pour out our praise. Thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you for an awesome church. Thank you for awesome people that take you seriously, reverently, carefully, passionately, sincerely. Thank you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. Pour out our praise. It's your breath in our Word and the Spirit. Take it in. Pour out our praise into your breath in our lives. So we pour out our praise. Join me. Let's just lift our hands and surrender and worship. We just lift our hands. We pour it out. This is an awesome moment. spiritual battle I want us to just pray the word over you so if that's you just step out and come as quickly as you can and stand across the front say I'm fighting an intense spiritual battle this morning we're going to take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and we're going to strike back spiritually and believe God for victory say I'm fighting an intense spiritual battle that's it just come thank you Lord just keep coming all across this place. Thank you, Jesus. God is going to help each one of you today. He's going to help you. He's going to empower you. The weapons of your warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty. To so the pulling down of stronghold, anyone else, people are still coming, will wait. This is such a critical moment. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. Just keep coming if you should be here. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs, so we 
have men and women who are part of our prayer team that just care about what's going on in your life. And I want to invite them to come and just be a support to you. It's a prayer team coming now. And I just want to tell you that the Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. What does that mean? He's out in front. The Lord is leading you. Begin to just hand over to the Lord the burden of your heart. Psalm 61 says, When my heart is overwhelmed, that's you. The Word says He'll lead you to a rock. When I'm overwhelmed, I'm fragile, I'm tossed, I'm, it's chaotic, it's uncertain. And He leads me to His character and nature, which is steadfast and immovable. There's no variation. There's not even a shadow of turning with God. So be anchored today by the fact that God is in control. He will lead you to a rock that's higher. Psalm 37 says, fret not yourself. Well, that's a tough one. Don't be anxious because of evildoers. But commit your way to the Lord. So just give it to Him. It then says, trust in the Lord. You will trust in the Lord to the degree that you believe He can sustain you. He can completely, totally sustain you. So trust, trust in the Lord. Commit deals with the length of time. How long should you commit this to the Lord? As long as it takes. If you've been praying about this for a day or for 10 years, commit it to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust, trust in the Lord. And then it says, delight yourself in the Lord. That is a word that means to worship. Just begin to, in the midst of the challenge, declare His greatness. Declare that you are in submission to Him. That He is the authority. That you look to Him. You don't understand what's going on, but you look to Him. We delight ourselves and declare that you are God. We worship even in the midst of the battle. And then it says rest in the Lord. And that word rest means to be free from intense emotion. All the anxiety, stress, worry that's been associated with this. Now just be free. Be free. We're using the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. And as we commit, trust, delight, we rest. The Lord knows the plans He has for you. Plans not to harm you, but plans to give you a future and a hope. So the Lord is out in front. Psalm 91 says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There is a covering over you. There is a protective presence about you. It's the presence of the Lord. David said in Psalm 3, Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they that say there is no help for me in God. 
but you, Lord, are a shield for me. You are my glory. That means you're my sustenance. You're my power. You are my glory and you are the lifter of my head. That means you lift my focus. You lift my perspective. You allow me to see this through eyes of faith. David said, where would I be if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side? If the fig tree, Habakkuk says, does not blossom, the barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will joy in the Lord my God forever. In the face, Habakkuk was saying, of catastrophe, the Lord is my salvation. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your promise. Comforts us. And then we get to use it to forge on, to move on, to press on, to make progress. We will be people of your word, people to engage it to see that it is good for correction and it's good for instruction. It's good for maturity. It is good for conviction. It is good. It's what you've given so that we might be thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for the good work you've called us to. Corporately, we ask your forgiveness for where we have neglected your word and tried to navigate life in our own understanding. Not neglect your word, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We found that pocket of air today. Thank you, Jesus. We have found a promise today. Thank you, your word that we planted in our hearts, maybe even years ago. It comes forth today to our mind. You bring it back to our memory so that we might hold steady in the time of difficulty. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're standing in your awesome presence, God. To your breath in our lungs, as we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. One more time. That's awesome. There's power in this kind of praise. We're going to make it. We're going to overcome. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's praise the Lord for all these, your sincerity. You're, you're going to make it. You're overcoming. You're not leaving here the way you came. This is real. God bless you. Love every one of you. Stand, everybody. Have a great afternoon. You're dismissed.